Good morning. The reading this morning is from Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verses 11 to 22. That can be found on page 441 of the Pew Bibles, page 441. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will also, will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple, which I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know me, my name is, uh, is Matt Baker. Uh, I'm often here in the evenings, so uh, I know there's a lot of new people coming at the moment. So uh, I'm a, I, hope, I hope I will be a treat being here this morning for a change. I don't always wear a suit either, as has already been pointed out by several people in the church. There you go. <clears throat> if we could have the verse up. If my people who are called by my name <clears throat> will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father, as we consider your word this morning, open our hearts to your heart, we pray. Take these words that you may work something in us today, that we may take hold of that, that we may take hold of this in our lives, that in this series on revival we might see men, women and children coming to know you as Saviour and Lord. 
and that you would revive us, your church, in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage that was read out to us is about a period in Israel's history, roughly 1000 BC. And uh, a little bit of homework, if you want to get the background context, you could look at uh, chapter 6 and then uh, the start of chapter 7. It's when Solomon builds the temple. And uh, we pick up in in 6 and then in in 7, you have the the dedication and the consecration of the temple. And then our passage picks up, um, it's probably a few years afterwards, actually, because the temple and also the palace have now been built. And the Lord speaks to Solomon uh, at night. And if I can flip it round, start with the bad stuff. The bad stuff is, well, to summarise, if you turn away from me, if the people of Israel turn away from me, there will be consequences. There'll be consequences for you, there'll be consequences for Israel, there'll be consequences for the land. Reference to water or rain being withheld and and, and locusts coming and devouring the land. But if you humbly, with penitent hearts, turn back to me, then I will hear your prayers. I will forgive your sins. I will heal the land. That's the context, 1000 BC. We, of course, are some 3,000 years on from that, if I've got my maths correct. When Eddie uh, said to me before we put this series together, back in sort of November, I remember getting a message, uh, a WhatsApp message from Eddie saying, "Uh, Matt, we're going to do a series on revival. Uh, I'd like you to preach as part of the series. What would you like to preach on? I straight away went back and said, this verse that we've got up on the screen Because it's become a verse that throughout particularly recent church history, over the last couple of hundred years, people have looked at and have preached it in the context of revival. If you do Google searches, you'll find a lot of American preachers preaching on revival from this particular verse. So I want to take it, I know it was written all those years ago, I want to take it and and ask to consider it today in our context. It's very much the heart of the Old Testament, isn't it? In fact, it's also the message of the New Testament as well. Is it not the message of history? That God calls a people to himself, that those people go away from God. There are consequences, but God is always a forgiving, kind, loving God who is calling us back. Would you agree? And so I want to look at this verse in our context and unpack it and get us to think what it might mean for us today. Let's start with the the very first bit. If my people who are called by my my name. Now, obviously, originally, this was the people of Israel. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to put my own hand up and say, I am a Christian. In fact, I am pleased to own his name within me. That's defining me. I am a Christian. I am a a follower, a dedicated follower of Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, 
who has died for me and given his life for me. I, I'm presuming there may be a few others in here today. Just nod your head a little bit and encourage me. <clears throat> if my people who are called by my name, I would say, well, well, that's me today. I'm one of your people. I'm called by your name. The point in this, though, is that this is aimed at us. It's for us. If we own his name, we need to be thinking about this. It's not for us to be pointing outside the church. And notice when we point, I know it's trite, but you've heard it said before, but when we point, there's always three fingers pointing back at you. It's not about pointing outside and saying, what a, what a wicked, evil, sinful nation we are in, and that really needs to change. And, and there may be things that we really want to change, and we've already prayed about some of those today. But this is for us. These words, as they were for the people of Israel, are for us, if you would own yourself today as a Christian. If my people, who are called by my name, will do what? Humble themselves, pray, and seek his face. I'll come on to the, the repenting of wicked ways, the turning from wicked ways in a minute, but I want to lump together those first three. Years ago in Cholton Blackheath Christian Fellowship, which I used to lead, um, <clears throat> we preached on this verse. You'll be very pleased about this. I'm not going to do it today. We preached on this verse, and we, we spent about eight weeks over this. <clears throat> and, and the preaching was like 45 minutes to an hour preaches just on humble. And then the next week it was pray. And the next, I'm not going to do that. In a few minutes, I'm going to lump together just three of those because I think they do go together. Humble, pray, seek his face. Anybody here watch The Crown? Yeah, it's a few kind of nods and a few shakes and what have you. Um, I, I'm a bit mixed about The Crown, if I'm honest. I like the first couple of uh, series or seasons. It's, it seems to me to have got a little bit odd towards the end, but anyway. Um, and, and it's not all factual, but there are facts in there. It's, it's entertainment, but it's, it, it's about the royal family. But one thing I really liked in it, and I can't remember which episode, and it happened a couple of times, we saw... Uh, Queen Elizabeth II, kneel beside her bed at night and pray. The Queen of England, kneeling humbly and praying. And my research tells me that actually the Queen was known for doing that. That was fairly factual. At the Queen's funeral in September 2022, uh, one of the hymns that were sung was Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. And it's got those words in, Fix in us thy humble dwelling. And then at the end, Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. You probably know that Queen Elizabeth wrote her own funeral service. She chose that hymn. The Queen of England humbly kneeling in prayer before the King of Kings. The Queen of England, who literally had a crown, we are singing there about casting our crowns before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Humility is perhaps not the most cherished characteristic in the West, I would suggest. 
You can do anything if you put your mind to it, can't you? Anything. Absolutely anything. You've just, just got to put your mind to it. What a load of rubbish. I mean, it, should I go up to the top and, and, and jump off and fly? Because if I put my mind to it, I can do anything. Nonsense. I, could, I live quite near the Thames. I know what I'm going to do. I put my mind to it. I'm going to walk across the Thames from one side to the other. It's rubbish, isn't it? I get what's behind it. It's that sense of we need to be positive. We need to put our minds. We need to commit. I, I get that. But, but actually, that also trips over into, into arrogance, I think, in the West. Well, we can do anything. We can solve things. We can sort it out. I mean, all, all this God stuff actually is a bit is a bit old hat now, isn't it? Um, because we're, we're beyond that. We don't need God anymore because we, we can work it out. Let me just push this a little bit further. Maybe even in the church at times, because we're very gifted in the church, we've got architects and, and solicitors and, and, and bankers, and we, 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 we're really gifted in the church, and I'm sure that lots of those gifts are, are God-given, but it can be, we can sort this out. Don't worry, we're St. John's. We'll get this sorted. We can work this out. C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I like that as a quote. A lot of the preparation I've done in this this week has been very much the three fingers pointing back at me. I'm just going to be honest. I used to pray uh, every day, Lord, teach me humility. Um, and, and somewhere along the line, I stopped praying that. I think it's because someone told me I was the most humble person they'd ever met. <laughs> no, no, I don't know why I stopped, but I've been convicted to go back to that prayer. Lord, teach me humility. I want to be humble before you. Humility was obviously something that Jesus modelled brilliantly for us. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Now that means individual prayer, but I think particularly corporate prayer. Prayer meetings that we have as a church. Uh, prayer triplets. You may still be part of a prayer triplet. A prayer in our small groups. I'm quite encouraged in our small group at the moment. Let me just build my small group up here. Yeah, I don't know about you, but when you get, we're in a small group and you're doing different things, it can often be you get to the end of the evening, right, well, well now let's have a quick catch-up and then, and then we'll pray. Uh, and then it can be, oh, well, we spent so long over the catch-up. It's a two-minute. Can someone just do a round-up prayer? Well, what, what we've decided to do is to pray at the start. Go around the room, find out what's going on, and then, and then pray at the start. And if we pray for a little bit too long, well, hey, we just have to cut the rest of the stuff that we're going to do out. Hmm, I quite like that idea. I throw that out, you may want to pick that up yourselves. Really encouraged that the church weekend is going to be on prayer. I didn't know that. Fantastic. Could you um, put up this... Quote, I hope you can see it. It's not coming up very well on there, but I'll read it out. This was a, this was a, a quote I found in a, a commentary I looked at, and I'm putting it up because I don't like it. 
how far the corporate life of one's own nation shows evidence of spiritual decline or progress depends to a significant extent on the prayers of Christian people. In case you can't see it, I'll say it again. How far the corporate life of one's own nation shows evidence of spiritual decline or progress depends to a significant extent on the prayers of Christian people. I don't like it because it seems to suggest that as a Christian, I might partly be responsible for the spiritual decline in the nation. I don't like that thought. I don't like it because it suggests that maybe I should pray a little bit more and pray about some of these things. Not, not just on a Sunday when we pray for our leaders and the, the king and those in authority, but maybe a little bit more passionate about praying for the country. You can flip it back to the, uh, the verse again. Thank you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's um, a very personable way of putting it, isn't it? Seeking my face. This passage, actually, when you think about it, has got a lot of that kind of language about God. It refers in the next verse to God's, God's eyes seeing prayers and his ears being attentive. And later on to, to God's heart being in, in, in the temple. It's very, very unusual. There are very few occurrences in the Bible where God's heart is referred to. And here we have this sense of seeking his face. Now, it means seeking his presence. That's what it means. But don't forget, don't just see that as a kind of, well, you know, presence of God, well, that's just kind of getting together and praying. Seeking his face is, is so much more intimate, isn't it? The Amplified Version says this, Seek, crave, and require of necessity his face or his presence. A real deep need for God's presence. A bit like Moses who said, unless you go with us, we're going nowhere. One final quote that I'm going to read out. That, uh, and then I'll just keep, keep on with the verse. If we just put this up. This is a quote from the, 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 the revival in Wales uh, at the turn of the 20th century, sort of 1902, 1904, something like that. And there were several quotes. That this wasn't given to anybody individual, but let me again read it out. Above all, a sense of the presence and holiness of God pervaded every area of human experience. At home, at work, in shops and public houses, Eternity seemed inescapably near and real. Above all, a sense of the presence and holiness of God pervaded every area of human experience, at home, at work, in shops and public houses. Imagine that. A tangible sense of the presence of God in the standard or in the oak. There are stories from, from that revival, because it went on in different parts in Wales, but there are stories of, of people, particularly men, going into the pub, buying a couple of pints, and then being so hit by the presence of God that having parted with their money, they left and didn't even drink the beer. Eternity seemed inescapably near and real. Back to the verse, please. That sense of the presence of God... 
But it's that that then leads us into repentance. Because if you saw in that, it was the presence of God and the holiness of God. I suggest that when God is really present in a tangible way, we do become aware of our own sinfulness and our need to repent. What happened to Peter after the first catch of the first miraculous catch of fish? When he encountered Jesus, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. What happened to Isaiah in uh, chapter 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and his train filled the temple. Amazing. But having seen the Lord, how does it go on a few verses later on? Woe, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. When we encounter a real presence of God, we encounter our own desperate need for healing, to be forgiven, to repent. Emotive phrase, to turn from our wicked ways. I think there is a movement going on here. I don't, maybe you can repent your way into the presence of God. I'm not sure. But it strikes me that the order is important. We do it in church. We don't straight away at the start of church say, right, now the first thing we're going to do is confess our sins before we go any further. It was 10 minutes. I timed it. It was 10 minutes into the service today before we got to confession. Confession's really important. That's what I'm emphasizing. But we start with praise and worship and adoration to God. The Lord's Prayer has forgive us our sins in it, but we start with our Father who art in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But when we've gone into that, when we're in his presence, there will come that point, there should come that point where we are then brought to our knees, perhaps literally, in repentance. I was going to try and come up with a couple of examples, but it sounded so trite, but I hope you may have experienced this before. But when I... I don't know about if you've experienced God's almost tangible presence, sometimes in worship, some worship, sometimes in prayer, sometimes with others. <clears throat> when I really feel God's presence, I sometimes find myself repenting of things that I wouldn't even thought of as sin before the process started. And I was thinking, can I come up with some examples? But they just sound trite, so I'm not going to do that. But I hope you might understand what I'm saying there. As you're Christian longer and longer, there are some things that you deal with, but when you encounter Jesus, that 10, 20 years ago, you would have thought were all right. But now when you're in his presence, he's working in your life and you're dealing with new stuff. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what's going to happen? Then, says God, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And maybe this is a bit we start to breathe now, because it's been a bit heavy up to this point, Matt. Come on, let's get to the... Come on now. God's response, hear, forgive, and heal. God hears, as it says in verse 15, and, and he also sees our prayers. I don't know if you've thought about that before, that God sees our prayers. Um, preaching on this a number of years ago in my former church, we had 
uh, a significant number of, of deaf people, we had a deaf culture, and so our, our, our services were signed in British Sign Language. They were really blessed when I said that God sees your prayers. Because they weren't speaking prayers, but they were using sign language. But I think it means more than that as well. I referenced the Queen at the start on her knees in prayer. Humble prayer on her knees. C.S. Lewis, again, who I've already quoted, in the Screwtape Letters, talks about the importance of the bodily posture in prayer. We used to have kneelers in churches, and people would always kneel. If you go to a more traditional church, they still got kneelers. I know there's some people here who kneel in prayer in this place. I'm not suggesting we've got to get, start getting on our knees again, literally in prayer, everybody. But I'm just throwing this out for us to think about it. How does our posture in prayer reflect our hearts? I know I've been challenged with this. So sometimes I can like be praying at the start of the day uh, with Helen in bed. I'm just kind of lying there praying. I'm thinking, I need to maybe sit up a little bit. Just think about what I'm doing here. I throw it out as a little bit of challenge that God hears and he sees our prayers. And then he forgives our sins. The temple was a place of prayer and sacrifice. If you read the consecration stuff that's gone on before, it would have, it's quite a bloody picture, and it would have been in the temple of all of the sacrifices that were going on. It was about prayer and sacrifice. And it still is today. Forgiveness of sins is still about prayer and sacrifice. Because there's one sacrifice that has been made at the cross that has dealt with all of our sins. Isn't that fantastic? Jesus crucified on the cross for your sins, for my wicked ways, for the sins of the world. Why we don't have to have sacrifice going on here today. But we can pray, repent of our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That should just make us stop now and just want to worship, really. Our sins can be forgiven. And then it says here that God will heal the land. Now, the original context of that was very tangible. Locusts would no longer devour and water, rain would come and what have you. And we know the, the significance and the thoughts around land still today. And I'm not going to get into that with the current conflict. But let's think about what it might mean for us. What, what am I saying? Am I saying that if we humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, that... Um, Climate change will be reversed? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, it'd be wonderful that that happened, wouldn't it? It'd be quite miraculous if that happened. But when God moves, when people come to a saving knowledge, when this starts to affect our lives and we start to change and we start repenting of these wicked ways and it ekes out from the church into society, it does start to affect the land. There are little stories going back to the Welsh revival. I read this one particular in, in, in Glamorgan. 
uh, between 1902 and 1907, the instances of um, convictions for drunkenness dropped by 50%. And the courtrooms had less people in them. So it started to affect the society. We've got an election coming up at the end of this year. I don't know how you're going to vote. I will vote. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to vote. I haven't even decided yet, to be honest. But it might change a few things in society. I'll tell you what would really change society. If God moved in power this year, if we really got serious about this and people started to repent, and turn to God, that would affect government. Can you imagine the decisions that might get made in in government, how they may be different, how our laws might get affected if God was moving in power in this nation? Something I'm quite passionate about is is I, I hate the knife crime that's on our streets. I genuinely believe that if revival came, the knife crime would go down. Wouldn't that be wonderful? that young men who carry knives and are involved in drugs would find a purpose and a hope in Jesus, that would transform our streets. So yes, if you ask me, I think this could affect and bring healing to our land. Some of you here will be into computer programming and and coding, all that sort of stuff. Um, And I understand the sort of if-then statements that you have in computer terminology. And you can look at this and think this is a little bit like an if-then statement. Is that what you're saying, Matt? If we do A, B, C, and D, then God will do X, Y, and Z. I'm very cautious about saying that, that we don't see that this is some sort of mathematical formula. Do this and bosh, it's all going to happen. I think it's dangerous to kind of get too much into that and, and we end up being the ones in control, don't we? Hello, God, right, it's about time you came in revival, so we're going to tell you what you need to do. Sorry if that sounds a bit crass and arrogant, but we have to be careful with that. I like to think of it, though, as a a what-if statement. What if, as God's people, we got serious about this? What if we really did humble ourselves and pray and seek his presence and repent of stuff that he brought to our hearts. What if we did that? Do you think he might hear our prayers and might forgive and bring healing to the land? I think so, because this seems to be God's heart. If we repent of our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I'm going to finish because a couple of people said they'd like to hear some of these stories. I'm going to finish just with some encouragements, the closest I've experienced revival. And others may have other experiences here. Eddie mentioned the Boys Brigade at the start of this series when we started a few weeks ago. And a couple of others have said what was going on in the Boys Brigade. And so I'm just going to finish with that just to kind of encourage us. This is not in Wales. This is here in Blackheath and in Charlton a few years ago, 40-odd years ago. I'm a teenage boy, 13 or 14, part of the 2nd West Kent Boys Brigade here attached to this church. And these are my memories. Others will have other memories. So it's, yeah, it's true, but it's truth as I saw it, being honest. We went on a Boys Brigade camp with the 2nd Brentwood Boys Brigade 
who obviously uh, were, were not round here. It was the other side of the water and all of that. And we went down to somewhere in Devon. Now, we were a fairly, I'll say, nominal Christian organization in the Boys' Brigade at the time. Uh, there were some Christians there, but it was a more nominal kind of traditional sense of Christianity. We went away on this camp, and we, we encountered these boys who like had a real faith in Jesus. And uh, that rubbed off on us. And so, to use myself as an example, you've heard me tell the story of a seven or eight-year-old asking Jesus into my heart, but then as a, a really mature 13-year-old, I was revived. I remember praying this prayer and, and, and God starting to do more in my life at 13 or 14. And I discovered my brother had done a similar thing. We hadn't talked about it, but he'd got stirred up as well. And it started to spread through other boys in the boys' brigade. And others were becoming Christians as well. And I, I remember walking along the street with one particular guy, and he'd become a Christian a couple of weeks before, and we stopped outside a friend's house, and we just prayed that that person would become a Christian. And within a, within a week, they had. It was really exciting. These bursts of, like, God just doing stuff. I remember Boys Brigade Camp the next year, and it kind of came in bursts and waves, this did. I remember Boys Brigade Camp the next year going away, and there was, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 of us boys away at camp, Six-man tents um, all around the campsite. And on the penultimate evening, we, we always used to have what was called tent prayers in the days when you could do this. An adult was allowed into the tent, and we'd pray together at the end of the day. And I remember this particular evening, the messages were coming in. It's a boy in tent A6. He's just given his life to Jesus, 14-year-old lad. Fantastic. We praise God. A little bit later on, as a boy in B5, just been filled with the Holy Spirit and started praying in tongues. Praise God. And it was just breaking out everywhere. I remember, I, actually, I was a bit naughty. I came out of the tent and started dancing around and singing. It was really exciting. And what was happening then, this was really interesting. We had Boys Brigade Bible class on a Sunday morning. So we weren't in church. We had Bible class. The Bible class was led by an officer. All the boys had become Christians. And these officers weren't quite sure what was going on. So we people, I can say it, people who weren't yet Christians trying to lead us as boys. And we were on fire with God and they didn't know what to do. But of course that then spread to them. So we had officers that were becoming Christians as well. And then, dare I say, it wasn't just about boys, but we had girls becoming Christians as well. Because it started spreading out into some of our schools. I remember a friend of mine, he's, he had a, a friend who was a girl at school. And he rang me up and he said, such and such, um, can you come around and chat to her? I think she might want to become a Christian. So I went around with another mate. I'm 15. I don't know what I'm doing. I just turned up at this house, at a mate's house, and a girl I'd never met before, we sat there, and I, in a very kind of, I'm, I must have made mistakes, I'm not sure, but I said, so you, you, know, you want to become a Christian, do you? Well, tell me what that means. So, oh, I don't know, I gave an ABC to becoming a Christian and prayed with this person. She became a Christian. She's still following the Lord today. We were meeting as four people, on a, uh, four boys, on a Tuesday afternoon at, uh, uh, with a teacher locally, and then we moved um, to another house. And the Bez Weatherick's, Annie Jane, reminded me of this the other day. We eventually moved to my old house on a Thursday evening. We used to take the door off the hinges so we could get everybody in. We had 50 or 60 young people in there, in this room, out in the hallway, up the stairs. And this is a surprise you. We had an hour of teenagers singing and worshipping God on a plonkety-plonk piano for an hour. Didn't they get bored? Weirdly, no. 
Because the presence of God seemed to be moving in the place. And then we'd listen to somebody preach for 45 minutes. Teenagers, two hours of worshipping God and hearing, hearing a preach. Yeah, it was really exciting. And I remember on one occasion, I mean, I, didn't, I, I was never late because I lived there. I remember opening the door as people arriving. I mean, they must have thought I was being a bit cheeky. But as people arrived, coming home from school and some of the older ones at work, opened the door and saying, are you ready to meet with God tonight? What do you mean? I really think he's going to move tonight. Come on, quickly. I hope you've prepared your heart for God moving this evening. Wow. They were really exciting days. That's why I'm really keen that we involve our young people in this as well. That when we have these prayer events, that we see our youngsters involved too. Because, you know what? God might want to start a revival with them. I know some of them are already having conversations at school. I've heard some of that. God's done it before. Wouldn't it be great if he did it again? We just close your eyes just for a minute as I pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit, stir our hearts in whatever way is necessary. Take these words, where they are of you, may they be planted and grow. Where they're not, may they just fall by the wayside. But Lord, would you come and do something anew in us, in your church, in this land, in the nation. What if, Lord, we got serious about this? Might you hear our prayers? Might you forgive our sins? And might you come and heal this land, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.